Driving Culture Forward. This is your host, Robert Marshall. You can go by Bob. That works. And today we're sitting here with Daniel Jacobs, maybe better known as the Dan Life on Instagram. So tell us how you're doing today, Dan. Doing good, doing good. Thank you, Bob, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Your biggest claim to fame, I would say, in the hypebeast world is your massively crystalled out Sovarsky Air Jordans, the gold pair, sold for 6500 correct? Yeah. Um, so tell us exactly what, what it is that you do. Um, artist, sculpture, jeweler, what would you kind of define Daniel Jacob as? I would define myself as a conceptual artist um, who's in the fine art world, and my medium is crystal, and I think it'll always be crystal. I'm very good at it, and I think it's something that's always going to be my shtick, yep. is making works out of crystal. Do you feel that having those labels these days is just unnecessary, that, that people have to be a particular kind of artist or a, or a particular kind of creative? Yeah, I actually hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Because you have to like think about how other people are going to view you at all times, and I just want to make art at yeah. the end of the day. So, yeah, on our, on our other series, big shout out to Jeff Staple. He recently, um, he likes to ask his guest, um, you know, if, if someone was to approach you on the airplane, what it is, what is it that you do? Is that one of like your biggest dreaded conversations when you're, you're just meeting somebody and they're like, hey, what, what, what are you? What do you do? Yeah, I remember him talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my response is first, I'm an artist. So yeah. it gets into like, whoa, what do you do? And then I have to explain what it is that I do, which is I make sculptures um, and wearables now and future wearables, but I make sculptures out of crystal and resin and not just crystal because they start thinking, you know, raw material crystal like from outdoors, but Swarovski and hand setting it the way that jewelry is set, like using tens of thousands of stones. Wow. You know, going through the, uh, the about yous on, on your, on your site, uh, daniel-jacob.com, correct? Correct. Um, you know, I, I read that, you know, you grew up in Chicago. Um, you know, you even had your first retail store at 15. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what your childhood was like? Is, you even mentioned um, you're a son of Russian immigrants. So are you your first generation here? Yeah, I was so, born here. Yeah, so tell me what, um, you know, what, what your childhood was like in Chicago. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> as <laughs> everybody is, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in, in Chicago in a city called Glenview. It's okay. north. Um, where Mean Girls was actually filmed, oh, a few snap. blocks, like a few cities down the road, so <laughs> can about you, 10, 15 minutes. Can you fully quote the movie? <laughs> I cannot. No? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> most people can, most girls can that I know, but um, I remember the lines. But um, So yeah, I grew up in, in North Chicago, in the suburbs, and both of my parents are Russian. Okay. And so I grew up in a household that was somewhat strict, but also lenient. Um, as a kid, I actually took classes with my whole family. We went to the Art Institute, and so that's kind of where, where I started making collages and learning about art. Um, I knew who Picasso was and Dali at a very young and probably under five. I like knew who they were and could name works that they did. Um, so yeah, we did a lot of art as a kid. Um, I started sculpting probably when I was like seven or eight. Wow. I was like in clay class. Mm -hmm. um, made some of the coolest pieces probably in the class. <laughs> um, and my brother was painting too, so, and he's actually a full-time painter now. Okay. Yeah, so we're both, um, we were pretty artists, you know, arti artistic um, as children. And were, you, were your parents artists as well, or was it something that, you know, they, were, they knew that they just needed, they wanted to not necessarily push you on, but make sure that you guys had that, 
you know, that experience and, you know, that breath. I think it's something my mom wanted. Okay. Um, and then we started playing tennis. So my brother was an incredible player. Um, right. and he almost became pro, which wow. was, which was crazy. Yeah. But right at the time when he left home to like go and pursue that, I kind of stopped playing tennis and I needed to fill my time with other things. So I went and started selling things on eBay actually. Okay. And turn that into like a pretty substantial business. Um, Around what time was this? I was like 12, 13. I was, I started just selling Livestrongs and everything like that. I've sold wine. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. You said you're selling wine? I was selling fine wine. <laughs> At the age of 12? At the age of like 12, 13, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, like, I've tried everything as a kid. Dude, how did you even come across wine at a, at, that, at a young age like that? Um, just in a store, and I was with my dad, and we were looking at this, like, Marilyn Monroe bottle. Oh, it was, yeah. like, a limited edition bottle. It was, you know, there was a lot of hype around it, which sure. is, you know, kind of funny um, being wine. But, yeah, I just looked up the prices on eBay and, like, was like, holy crap. I could, you know, buy it for 99 and sell it for, like, 250 So I was like, oh, my God, there's a market. So right away, I just started buying up all this wine, started selling it, got into other wines, Sold watches, um, fine writing instruments, was buying from auction, reselling them, did a lot of business on eBay, um, had a lot of clients around the world and kind of grew that business. And when I got tired of it um, was actually when I was living in Miami okay. like six years ago. So I was like, I need to just start something myself, like do something cool. I have a lot of wealthy clients. I was like, what can I do that I like? Mm -hmm. And also I didn't mention, but one of my passions as a kid was collecting gems and really okay yeah i had like everything from sapphires to to hard diamonds i mean it was pretty funny i had like a massive collection so that just kind of turned into like me going back and thinking about art um but i actually thought of it in a as a brand first and not as a fine artist do you think that's the normal path that you know i'm sure it's not it wasn't the normal path that people think of their art or themselves as an artist as a brand um or do you think but I think nowadays, I imagine that is the case. Um, where do you see that, that kind of fine line now? I think creating a brand was something that I had my like eyes set on for a while yeah. um, as a kid. And it just kind of fell into place because I was selling a lot of brands like high-end home decor and crystals. So I kind of like knew the market and I was like, okay, I'm going to make cooler designs mm. with what I think would be really cool for a lot of people. Um, so, I, so I started toying with the idea and kind of just grew it. My first piece was actually a Pink Panther. Okay. It was small. It was like 12 inches long. Um, and it had like, I think, almost 12,000 stones on it. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was pink. So it was like a rose-colored crystal. Um, had a lot of crazy detail in it and very much a standout piece like to yeah. start off with yeah and then my second was a purple elephant so <laughs> it just went down that that path um and i was sold in like a lot of home decor stores around the world i was sold in a lot of jewelry stores um the brand did very well but it was actually a turning point when somebody in miami actually convinced me to go run it as an artist and not as a brand as in you know, you being dan being the the face the behind face. it. Yeah. Right. When I first started the brand, I didn't know if I wanted to be the face or do I want to be behind the scenes as like a creative director of the brand, right. which is how I actually started. Right. So about two and a half, three years later, after the brand was like pretty, I would say, successful in a sense that people have seen it before and have, you know, seen it again and again, um, even though it was quite small and like very like small market. Um, yeah, I, I just completely pivoted and started 
thinking a little bit more creatively in terms of contemporary and pop type culture mm -hmm. and started pitching galleries and working with them with this new concept that I had. And that, what was that new concept? I would say the Jordans. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like the first big moment where I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm going to create something crazy. Took almost like eight months to do the first piece. A lot of times it took a year, but I like rushed it so I could have it in time for the shows in the Hamptons about okay. two years ago. So I ended up making three different Jordans. Those were my first three, like large, the largest pieces that I've done to date. Right. They had 140,000 stones. Right. Um, and and it was the, the black and gold one, correct? The, that was the fourth one. That was the fourth one? Yeah. Okay, what colorways were the first ones? So the first ones were the UNC. Okay. The Chicago. Yep. And then I did like an all gold, something that I just wanted to do myself. Right, okay. So I did like two different gold colors. Based off like the pinnacle pack, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Based off the pinnacle, which is what I use later for the wearable. Right, right. Being, you know, in Chicago, um, my dad was always like a big Bulls fan, so I had a lot of kind of knowledge of like Jordans and the whole Nike brand. And it was something that I've always wanted to do with my brand in the past was to end up making wearable art. So what kind of pivoted that change into releasing the wearables this year was when I created the sculpture, I had like hundreds of people thinking that they were wearable. <laughs> so I had like, I was inundated with like emails with tons of people just writing to me wanting a pair. And about a year later, I actually made the first pair. So it was about eight months before I launched them in January. I made the first pair for just a, just a client of mine um, and myself, actually. So I had, a, I had my own pair, but never worn them because I didn't want people like thinking that they're wearable. So it was this cross between like making sure that the sculpture was seen separately from the wearable. Right. So yeah, people were just walking into like these gallery spaces and just saying like, oh, this is actually a size 22 sneaker. That totally yeah, is not... Yeah, 24 inches. Yeah, yeah. It's totally something I can't wear out the store. Yeah. A lot of people have seen them, actually. So all over Miami and New York, they were they were being shown. Um, yeah. So, like, groups of, like, 30,000, 50,000 people were seeing them and then realizing that they weren't wearables. So it was, like, funny seeing both sides come through. But. And then how did they, you know, take us through the actual design process between, you know, creating these sculpture pieces, but then now actually doing wearables, you know, where obviously there's a, a massive difference in, in the, the build, correct? Yeah. So Huge. Yeah, so what was it like switching from, you know, just kind of creating this sculpture, this, this base piece, and then, but then actually having to take a shoe and then, you know, add these uh, crystals to it? So the sculpture actually has no glue in it. Okay. And they're set the same way that jewelry is, so it's set into the resin. So the design process for the sculpture was crazy because I actually took a shoe and then 3D scanned it, printed it, made a mold of it, and then set the stones on top of it into resin. Okay. So it was a pretty crazy process. Right. Now, you said it usually takes about a year, correct? Um, a little less. So like five months to okay. finish the piece, but about a year to design it from start to finish. Okay. I just rushed it on, on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> but going to the wearables, yeah, it's a totally different process. There's glue involved. You have to find the right glue. So there's trial and error in the beginning, mm -hmm. making sure that the stones don't fall off. Um, but also done in such a setting that still looks like it's my art and not just bedazzled. Right. Because there's a difference. Right. So the shoes have like about 15,000 stones in them. It's very crazy, mind-boggling when you're looking at it. And I think the process made it so substantial that, you know, it took off and, and kind of kind of went viral. Did, um, did you have any like, 
random celebs was this was before this had you ever been like hit up by you know a celebrity or anything like that for like your pieces or you know after the jordans was it just like you said like just inundated with just people dming you it was left and right it was celebrities it was a mix with everybody else you know high net worth individuals collectors i mean everybody was after these jordans um i actually had to pick and choose who could have them right. in the beginning the big sculptures and then when i switch it over to the wearables, so many celebrities started buying them. It was crazy. Yeah, but yeah. I don't necessarily want to name names, but one of them who's like a huge homie, cool guy, Jay Balvin. Yeah. He ended up purchasing three pairs um, and wearing them, uh, I think. I don't know if he wore them yet, but he actually was interviewed and, and shown them um, as the most expensive Jordans in his collection. Yeah. I'm worried. Yeah. I've always wondered what it's like wearing something like that. You know, I, I mean, everybody's going to see you for sure. But then... I would be so nervous that I would just kick <laughs> something and then, you know, a stone would fall off here, another one would fall off there. Like, does, is, that, is that even, like, possible? Like, how, how, how well constructed are these things? Pretty, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and wearing them is fun because yeah. you don't, you, you just get bombarded. I mean, I For wore sure. them to Art Basel and I didn't have a minute to breathe. I took 80 business cards probably of people saying, email me, you know, or I gave out 80 because... <laughs> They just wanted them, so it was like crazy. I just couldn't walk. Actually, right. you didn't even have to talk to anybody. You just, just literally yeah. wore them, and every person just started like coming up to me, like, "Oh my God, I love your shoes!" And when one did, about eight others swarmed in. So it was like people were waiting if they could like say something. So wearing them is cool; gets a lot of attention. Absolutely. In our space, you kind of like took it by storm. You know, a lot of fame, a lot of hits on our site, and on a number of other fashion and streetwear sites. And then from there, we you know we've seen you kind of jump into popsicles as you briefly mentioned and the sewers what are what are the significance for those so i think back to like the whole growing up in chicago i yeah. was eating popsicles like every day yeah. as a kid i was getting yelled at by my family stressful environment um ruining my teeth with you know now i have really good teeth but in the beginning i had like cavities every other just month it was crazy on you know just spending all your ebay money on, on ice popsicles. cream yeah <laughs> i mean it was like it was just like a, my fan favorite I, mean, yeah. I ate it every day pretty much and then um, the sewers as well, correct? And the sewers, I didn't eat. eating those. Yeah, right? I wasn't eating them. But um, with my work actually in the brand, I was traveling around the world like crazy. And what I kind of started to do was take photos of my feet over sewer covers. So I have like hundreds of photos of my feet over really cool sewer covers all over the world. And the idea hit me to take something that's dirty and on the street and turn it into something that's beautiful and for the home. Right. So you can actually hang it on a wall or you can put it on a table and some collectors even like have it on the floor in a corner of their room. And it's like a talking piece, but it's cool. I mean, I want to do sewers from all over the world. Yeah. And then this past weekend, you had a show where you were exhibiting some of these items. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the show's in Sag Harbor. Um, yeah. It started on, on Friday and is running all the way through Labor Day. I partnered with some of my coolest uh, artist friends, Friends With You. They're a duo, and they created this cloud that has like massive appeal, and it's super fun and friendly, and it's every, everybody from kids to to the elderly love it. So yeah. I just had this crazy idea, and I knew they were they were gonna have a 2,000 pound one at the show. So I was like, let's collab and make this smaller cloud in crystal, and it took off. So we call it we're calling it Little Cloud, which is which is their piece, Little Cloud, but Little Cloud and Crystal. Yep, and then how, so was it just as simple as that, just reaching out to them, being like, listen, I want to I wanna take your design and, and kind of flip it with my own aesthetic here? 
So I actually pitched the idea first to Joyce, who's the art advisor at the show. Okay. And she loved the idea and loved it so much. She was like, I'm going to call them right now and see if they want to do it. Yeah. And we just started talking and we all started working on it and collabing. And I was, got the mold done and we were like on our way to have it ready in a month. And for, for our readers that aren't familiar with Sag Harbor, this is in the Hamptons, correct? Yes. So we were briefly talking uh, earlier about the Hamptons kind of being almost becoming this new like art haven. Um, and and you're, you kind of agreed and you made a, a great point. Like, why do you think that's the case? I think it's the summer getaway from New York. Yeah. So a lot of the art collectors, a lot of the New Yorkers that head out there, they're looking for things to do and events to go to. And yeah. one of the best ones that brings people together are art events. Right. So I think it's becoming a more substantial like place for, for and things that are happening in the Hamptons. Right. With your art though, it it, it is very it's fun. It's um you know it's nostalgic. Are you a bit more mindful of when you're picking and choosing where you want to exhibit nowadays because of that? Are you looking for places that are a bit more playful or places that might tailor to a certain audience? Um, like just what goes what goes through your mind when you're you know thinking of places where you want to exhibit and show your pieces? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I have to think about is whether or not the right people are going to see it. Mm-hmm. So I have to like kind of pinpoint if it's going to be in a large city, a small city, and then also where is the location and how many people can actually drive out to see it. So the Hamptons is pretty far from New York, but in the summer, it's a great, great spot. Absolutely. Now, you know, in our world, right, we have this massive secondary market for like sneakers and, you know, fashion and footwear. The art world is very much just like that with auction houses um, and different secondary markets. Um, how do you see your, your artwork, you know, Dan Life's artwork, you know, transitioning into the secondary market? You don't have uh, a huge breadth of products at the moment. I imagine a lot of people that have purchased your stuff is like, are, they're, they're collectors, they're buying it and keeping it. But how do you think your artwork, you know, as you kind of grow and you start selling more products, is, is it a transition into the secondary market? Or what are your concerns, I guess, on top of that? Yeah. I mean, the secondary market is huge. And yeah. I don't really have a control over what will what will happen mm-hmm. in the future. Um, I just want to keep making art and making the coolest things that everybody just can't stop looking at. Right. But in terms of secondary market, I mean, hopefully, if they do get there ever, um, that the prices don't go lower. I think that they're going to go much, much higher. But I can't really have a have a focus on that. I'm, I'm mainly focusing on, on creating the art. Right. And... In creating art, what is what are some of the projects that you're looking out to to kind of do? Or are you just thinking about doing? Um, you know, are you still trying to you know hark back to your days as a Chicagoan, right? Yeah, is that Chicagoan. Chicagoan, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> are you still thinking about you know objects from your childhood that you want to do, or are you kind of thinking beyond that now? Yeah. So all of the works that I'm making and going to be making in the future have to be fun. Yeah. Everything has to be exciting. When people see my work, they have a big smile on it on their yeah. face. And that's kind of what keeps me going. So the best way to do that is to bring in more nostalgia. Bring in what people had as kids and what they gave to kids. And I think I have a lot of cool, exciting ideas that I'm, I'm going to be bringing forward soon. Are there any ones that you want to kind of talk about a little bit? There are a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, some of the works that I'm... Considering doing, I guess you could say, are Beanie Babies. I think that's going to be... Fire. Fire. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Something everybody at one point in their life either received or gave to someone, yeah. made someone happy. 
but even bigger than that, they were collected by everybody. I mean, I had hundreds of them stored away in, in our house. So it's just something that brings back memories, good and bad. Some people lost fortunes on it, but <laughs> I think it's going to be such a fun fun artwork to create. Yeah, hopefully no one loses a fortune on these ones now, yourself included. Myself included, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, on, on top of that, you know, you mentioned linking up with Jay Balvin, um, you know, him being a fan of your work. Do you have any, do you have any other, the other like, wild stories where you know whether it be a celebrity or not but someone that came up to you um, and was inspired by your work or you know whatever it might be like any wild stories like encountering fans of your work i think the biggest wild story was more than one person at miami yeah came up to me and asked me if i was the dan life that was pretty crazy i scared my girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) she was like not (laughs) not prepared i guess not prepared yeah Yeah. she was like what (laughs) and this was you know uh this is probably a good segue into, you know, you've kind of been battling a little bit with uh, branding your uh, yeah. your artist life, right? A lot of people have known you or known you in the past over the last few years as Daniel Jacob, but your Instagram handle is the Dan Life, um, which is something that you're you're kind of switching over to is becoming the Dan Life, correct? What was the the thought pro- process behind that? So a lot of people also know me as Dan Life, yeah, yeah. and they say that, <laughs> and it's kind of the alter ego that came with. with my work i mean the dan life was my instagram handle before i ever like shown my work right to to the public um at least to my friends online and it kind of grew from there as soon as i started posting um and so yeah i think the idea hit me about a year ago to to change my name to dan life as an artist and something i'm probably toying with the next few weeks to just full-on make that move and that change into dan life um because i kind of want everybody to be part of it right and welcome them to the Dan life. That's good. Do you think, is that almost a necessity for an artist, you know, that they that they kind of need to brand themselves as a brand, for lack of a better word? Or, you know, do, I think we see more artists doing that, especially in, in, in our space, where it's, it is a lot of street artists, where they were, mm-hmm. they were taggers and they needed to have this, you know, this wild name to kind of set themselves apart. And also, they couldn't use their real name because it was illegal, right? Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, you I'm know. not tagging anything with Crystal. <laughs> Not that yet. we know of, right? <laughs> I mean, a damn life was so. Yeah, but I do have a lot of friends that do tag, and I go with them, and it's it's crazy and it's ex- exhilarating, and I get why they have to have a different name. I mean, yeah, exactly. clearly it makes sense. But so, is do you think this is almost a necessity for just artists that are out even outside of the street art world that are but are contemporary modern artists that do have a a street inspired uh, aesthetic? I would say no. Yep. Like screw that. You don't have to make up a name. You don't have to like market yourself or brand yourself as anything but yourself. Right. Dan Life just took off as for what it is, which is my first name and life, which is now my new last name. <laughs> and it kind of creates everything that I am as an artist, which is creating this aura and the nostalgia of the work that I create. Yeah. So I think Dan Life is just a perfect name. And yeah. In the last week, it's already taken off, good and bad. So we'll yeah, no, see what happens. I'm almost the same way. My, my Instagram handle has beard in it, so it's like I can't. You have a big beard. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if I if I shave it, then I'm no longer my Instagram handle. Like, who am I now? That's true. You know, I have to I have to rebrand myself entirely. <laughs> you know, you have to change it. <laughs> now, you know, you've mentioned um, you know some collaborations, some uh, celebrity friends. Tell us what is the you know, what, what you're working on, uh, which you have coming up, 
what is the ultimate collab? What is the, you know, the one, you know, dream partnership that you're looking for, whether it be with a brand, you know, the, the Virgil Ikeas or with a, a fellow artist? Cause. Yeah? I have to say, Brian, call me. <laughs> <laughs> we got a collab, man. You heard that, Brian. Give him a call at the Dan Life. I think but, cause would be great. I mean, yeah. I think I think it would be the coolest thing. I've been thinking about it for a while. And Bear Brick. Bear Brick would be cool oh, absolutely. to do one as well, both in all crystal and just pieces of it in, in crystal in my work. But yeah. I think both of those would be cool. I love, when I was, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved cartoons. So that's something I want to incorporate in the future in my work. Um, so cause, call me. Yeah, you hear <laughs> And do you have any advice for, you know, you know, an artist or just a manager yourself, just kind of going from just hustling in New York or in Chicago, excuse me, you know, flipping things on eBay, you know, turning it into a, a wine cellar. You seem to kind of like hustled your way through a lot and now you've kind of find found your passion and what you want to do and you're enjoying it, making a lot of people happy. Like what advice would you give for some people that are trying to get to where you are, just following their artistic, you know, passion and nailing it? Don't quit. Yep. I've been doing this five and a half years now, making crystal art. And even still, I'm very small in this crazy large world. But you got to start somewhere. You can't think epically until, I mean, you have to think big, of course, but you can't think you know, until you start like small. And you just got to keep going every day, put some effort into it. Were you and then it'll turn from like a pet project or, you know, something fun on the side to turning into a business. Were you people getting, say that all the time, but yeah. actually, you, it, it's true. You got to think that way. Were you getting a lot of like, not pushback, but a lot of, you know, hey, I don't know if this is going to work type Everybody. of comments early on? Yeah. Everybody. My whole family thought I was crazy. <laughs> Still do. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm nuts. <laughs> yeah. Was, was it more so just because, you know, not, it couldn't have been because your background. It sounds like you've been, you know, immersed in art, for, you know, since, you know, a toddler. But was it just more, or was it just the matter of your, um, essentially uh, a jeweler in a way, right? Was it just that was kind of out of this world for you? Was that really what it was? I think I knew early on I didn't want to have a corporate job. So right. I think that was part of it, that I had to figure out and find my way into making something of myself. Um, I went to school for finance, which was kind of a whole 180 <laughs> from the art world. For sure. But it definitely helps. I mean, having finance, marketing, any kind of little background will help you as an artist because... At the end of the day, you have to make sure that your finances are in order, which is like, you know, the hardest part of, of my day because I just want to create cool shit. But yeah. Oh, no. To no, it's okay. Totally curse. Absolutely. Curse okay, all cool. the way. Shit. Uh, <laughs> now, um, but with that, you know, I want to add to that is that, you know, it's, it sounds like the art world, it, it is like a cutthroat kind of like industry, I imagine, right? And having a finance background, I'm sure, is very helpful in, you know, being. Um, an entrepreneur in uh, the art world, you know, what were some of those like, not o those aha moments, but those like, wow, this is a, you know, a real business. This is, you know, people are out to get you type of industry. You know, what, did you have any of those moments, you know, these first couple of years? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of people try to screw you. Yeah. Cause one, they think I'm young. I'm 25. And you that they young. can, yeah. <laughs> and that they can uh, take control. And it's like, nah, I've been doing this way too long. Like I know what I need from with my art it's very expensive to produce um i've lost a lot of money in my career so i know what not to do going forward mm -hmm. and you learn along the way but yeah the art world is pretty cutthroat there's a lot of people out there that that'll 
pretend that they can help you and then they take you a different direction. So just stick with what you're doing if you're in, in the art world and keep pushing. There you have it, guys. Do you have any uh, final last words for our hype beast? Follow me. You already know. At the Dan Life, follow him. Thanks. Peace.